All right, we are going to study today uh, the loaves and the fishes. And if you got here early this morning, somewhere around quarter to seven, you would have seen the loaves and the fishes uh, exhibited by the donuts that came in. I was absolutely astonished as box after box after box came in. Uh, and you saw, in fact, how God touches the hearts of people in generosity. So there's your example of this lesson being preached today. Only do- it's donuts and it's not loaves and the fishes. This is a, one of the great miracles that Jesus performed. Um, and there's so much to be studied here uh, that, that you really you can be blown away. Uh, and you understand that the Bible said 5,000 men, but theologians say that most likely there were about 15,000 people there that day. 15,000 people there on a hillside uh, up, you know, near the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and, you know, there isn't a public market nearby, right? There's no place really to get it. And so you see the intervention of God for human needs when we bow to the throne of Christ. And so it's a, a, a fabulous study, a fabulous lesson, and one, one that you can, you can draw a lot on in terms of reading. So this is in Luke chapter 9, uh, and if you have your Bibles, beginning with chap- verse 10. And Jesus had sent his apostles out before on mission, and so they had just come back from mission. And so verse 10, when the, the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, holding up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets fulls of broken pieces that were left over. Is that a pretty good miracle? Can you just imagine this sight? I mean, just imagine the disciples there and saying, you know, there's there's 20,000, 15,000 people. Send them back. We can't do it. We don't have the ability. We can't do it, Jesus. And Jesus tells them, uh, have them sit down. Have them sit down. And they bring out these five, five loaves and two fish. And Jesus then prays over this. Uh, and what's interesting here is that Jesus has them set up in groups of 50. And I thought about that and prayed about that. What, what was the importance of, of the 50, an, an individual 50? You could imagine all these various segments, 50, 50, 50, 50. Um, and... And one of the things that it shows me, it shows me the organizational mind of Christ. That, e- that even as we worship Christ, there is an organization that's required, an orderliness, 
of the mind of God. It's not just haphazard, all right? We're not, Jesus isn't an anarchist. We do things in an orderly way because the orderliness of how we worship God shows, in fact, the nature of the creation. God was orderly even in the way he created, day one, day two, and stopping. And so you see that in the mind of Christ. But as I reflected on it, one of the things that it, it, it said to me is, imagine if you were a disciple. And so I believe that as Jesus prayed, it's not like all of a sudden, you know, 15,000 fish appeared. You understand? 10,000 loaves of bread. No, it didn't go that way. It didn't go that way. Instead, as they uh, submitted to God and bowed before God, they would take the baskets for 50, and as God would pray, Jesus would pray, he would take the baskets to that group of 50, that group of 50 would be satiated. Then they'd go to the next group of 50, and they'd be fed, and so on. So you see the application of faith. Each group of 50 required faith. The disciples walking in faith, recognizing that something supernatural was being done here. It's not like all of a sudden, here's a load of fish and a load of bread. I don't believe that's how this happened. I believe that as they bowed before the throne of God, uh, you see the application here and how God responds to our faith. And so this, this is an example, again, of a triangle. You've heard me speak about a triangle before as it relates to the family, but this is a, 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 an example of the triangle as it relates to us and Christ and the world. And so you see it. The disciples are in one part of the triangle. Uh, the crowd is at the other, and Christ is at the top. And as they, the, the disciples humble themselves in faith, towards Christ, the, the application and the answer uh, and the miracle take place. And so it's amazing as you see what God can do with us when we give it over to him. You understand what was the first thing that they did here? We can't do it. Send them away. Isn't that how, how human nature works? Send them away. There's no material way we can feed this group of people. Lord, just send them away. And Jesus said, no, no, you you feed them. You feed them. And that's what he's saying to us today. And that's the lesson today. You feed them. You take charge. You be the responsible party in the kingdom. You use the resources that you have. You use the gifts and the talents that you have. Don't say you can't be done. Don't say you're relying totally on me. Yes, you rely on me, but it requires you to step out in faith. You need to step out in faith. You need to take the five loaves and the two fish and to ask God to intervene, and you see that. And so here we see this, and we're going to focus first on the disciples because it's interesting as we see the reaction of the disciples. They returned on their mission trip. I'm sure they wanted to spend quality time with Jesus. Uh, and so they reported to Jesus all that had been done. And so Jesus took them along to an area where they, where they believed they would privately be able to have time with Jesus. But you know, when you're with Jesus, there's no private time. You understand? The crowds were drawn to him. They followed him even into this remote place. And so that's the nature of God. You see people drawn to the Son of God knowing that this was something unique and special. And so there they come, even in a remote place. Here's 15,000 people uh, on, a, on a hillside. You know, when I was in Israel, and I've seen these kind of places uh, near, near the water, uh, and I can tell you that my, my reaction, my memory to this, is that the hills kind of curve up from the water. Uh, and so what happens is that the crowds would sit in these hills, 
and they would be able to be uh, preached to uh, and given the food from the bottom up. And so it's amazing. And so uh, the, the question is that Jesus felt clearly, I believe, that the disciples needed some private time. Uh, and we can learn that from Mark. I, I give a citation there from Mark uh, that, that they needed some private time. But here, here's, the, here's the nature of what you learn. When you are involved in ministry, and all of you are involved in ministry. You understand that? Each of you are involved in ministry. There is no private time. When you're involved in doing the work of God, you're on call 24 hours a day. Don't ever forget that. When there's a need, you need to address it. Uh, and if God puts on your heart that you need to go see somebody or pray for somebody, you need to do it. And so even though they needed some rest from their travels, they were weary from their travels, it was clear that Jesus knew that they had a response, that they had to effectively go out and feed these people. And so it wasn't just the food that was being fed. He preached to them. And so they were there all day. They followed him. And so they were hours, people listening to Jesus preach about the kingdom of God. Uh, and you can imagine the hunger of the people. You know, now if you preach in church and you go longer than 45 minutes, people have a conniption, right? They have a conniption, all right? Uh, and, and here, I'm sure Jesus spoke for hours. But here's the difference. This is no mere preacher preaching. This is God preaching. You can just imagine the power of the words coming out from Jesus' mouth. Can you imagine? And someday you'll hear it. And in fact, you hear it even now with the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit responds and gives you a message that touches your heart. And so there had to be a tremendous excitement and expectation on the part of the people to hear Jesus Christ speak. He had become incredibly popular. You recognize these were the kind of popularity visitations that ultimately brought Jesus to the cross. It's when the, the, the religious leaders saw Jesus and his popularity that they said, this guy's got to go. He's going to wreck everything that's taken us hundreds of years to do, uh, and he's going to wreck it all. And it's interesting, if you were in church yesterday with us and we had our, our communion service, it was the first time we, we uh, had communion at the, at the church in Naples Gathering. One of the things that I spoke about was that when Jesus had that last supper, when he had that last supper, at that point, the uh, old covenant was broken forever. And that was the covenant that came through from Passover, right? That the Jews were directed once a year to celebrate Passover. Uh, and that would be the celebration of the washing by blood of what took place in Egypt. Uh, and that the angel of death passed over the, the Jewish people and delivered them. And yet all of the firstborn of the Jews, of the Egyptians, all of their animals were struck dead. And so they celebrated that. That was celebrated for 1,400 years. It was a key celebration to remember what God had done. But at the Last Supper, Jesus said there is a new covenant. The old is done. The old covenant is obsolete. This is the new covenant in my blood. And so you recognize this, that these people were recognizing something revolutionary had taken place here. And that, in fact, as I said yesterday, the Passover, that should have been the last Passover ever performed. The curtain has come down. It's over, all right? That the Lord's Supper, the communion, would be effectively the new Passover. And so this is going on, and Jesus is speaking like this. And you can imagine the reaction of the religious elite who really, 
really are not happy with this message. They're not happy when they see Jesus coming in and changing everything that, has, that had been done for thousands of years. And so it's late in the day. It's late in the day. And I'm sure Jesus is tired, all right? And the disciples are tired, all right? And you can imagine, it's, it's not like you're in an auditorium. You're out there in the open. Everything is a burden to find water uh, and to find even some kind of food. It's all, it's all problematic. And so they tell them, the disciples say, well, let's just tell them to go into the local villages, really. We got 15,000 people. Is there a supermarket nearby? What are we going to do? I mean, really, where are we going to go? How are we going to feed them? How are we going to take care of these people? Uh, and, and, and so there's thousands of people milling around. I want you to just imagine this in, your, in the mind's eye. And so sunset is approaching. It's starting to get dark. Uh, and so really, how is God going to advance his kingdom at this moment of time? And imagine if you were there, what would you do? You would throw up your hands and say, well, hey, we can't do anything about it. These people came out here. They took a chance. Well, guess what? They're on their own. You see, God doesn't want us to talk like that. God instead says, what can you do to partner with God in order to advance the kingdom of God? Uh, and, and so the thing is, is that even though the disciples had no idea uh, what to do, Jesus, of course, knew what he would do. Take a look, if you would, to, Luke, uh, to John chapter 6. Verse 5. The synoptics have several versions of this story. Verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, I love that question. I want you to see how Jesus poses these questions even when he knows the answer. Do you think Jesus didn't know that, the answer? He wanted to see what, Philip's, what Philip would say. Philip, where shall we go? Where shall we go to, to get 15,000 pieces of bread? Yeah, you know, it's like, why are you asking me that question, Jesus? Uh, and, and, he, and he asked this, it says in verse 6, only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Boy, you've got to love Jesus. He's testing you. He's looking to see how you respond in moments of crisis. Where's your heart? Are you sold out for him? Do you recognize he is the God? that he is the creator, that he did everything, that he has the, the power and authority to fix all things. So when he asks you or tests you on something like that, be prepared to give the response, and the response is only you, Lord. Only you. I'll bow to you, Father. I'll do what you, what you want me to do. I'll, I'll bow to you in this, in this moment. And so Jesus is calling first at that point to the attention of the need. Wake up, disciples. These people have a need. Wake up, we need to address it. Uh, and, and so they saw no alternative other than to dismiss the people. Uh, and Jesus said, no, you will feed them. And I want to say that that's an important part of our Christian walk. Jesus doesn't expect you to dismiss people. When you see a need, I want you to be able to be the kind of guy that says, how can I address this? If I see somebody that needs something, I want you to say, Lord, what's the answer? Lord, how do we do this? Lord, with the resources that we have, Father, how do we address this need? Don't put your head in a hole and say there's too many people. There's no way to address it. Yes, there is through God. There is, and that's why Jesus was testing Philip. He wasn't looking for the simple answer, well, there's no place to buy the food. 
and said he was looking for Philip to say, Lord, within your authority, we know that you can address these issues. We know that you have the way to do it. And so these verses apply to us today uh, just as powerfully in two ways. And that first way is that we need to take notice of and not ignore hungry people or people in need. Number one, this is the lesson today for us. You've been called into the kingdom of God. You cannot ignore people in need. Don't tell me you go to church every week. Don't tell me that you're sold out for Jesus Christ. If you are walking away from people in need, then you are truly not walking with Jesus Christ. All right? This is an important lesson. God expects us to look out for those people in need, whether it's a physical need or an emotional need or a spiritual need. God is calling you to be on guard and to be attentive. And what does that mean? It means that even as you walk down the street and somehow you see some unfortunate person uh, who, who in some way is a homeless person, you know what? Reach into your pocket and walk over and give him some money. Don't say, as I hear people say, oh, he's just going to drink it. He's going to get alcohol. Well, you know what? That's between him and God. That's between him and God. But the question is, what is God saying to you? What's your responsibility? And that's what you need to do constantly. Your head should be on a swivel that you're looking around for what's the need? What, is, what's, what do people need? And so we, we have to take notice. Second, in addition to helping as we are able, we also must make such needs known to other people who are in positions to help. What does that mean? Some needs are so profound and so significant that they are beyond our own ability to do something. Well, then what? Well, then notify the church. Notify leaders within the church. Notify charitable institutions. Notify people that can come and address it. You don't just sit there and put your hands in the pocket and walk away. That's the lesson here. That's why this miracle is so poignant. As you see Jesus teaching them, yes, there's 15,000 people on the hill. Yes, we don't have any food for them. But yes, you've noticed it, and now you're asking God to intervene. And so in verse 13 here, Jesus turns the disciples' awareness of the need into a teaching moment. And this is where you really love what the Lord does. He was certainly aware that in their own human strength, they could not fulfill his instructions. When he said, you give them something to eat. Uh, how? I just told you. You give them something to eat. But I'm only weak. I'm a human being. I can't do this. I don't have the authority to do it. But God has just told you that's the call on your life. And so I want you to recognize something. That when God calls you to do something, just say yes the answer is yes, Father. I will do it. I will step out even when I don't know how I will do it. But I will do it. And I can tell you the example in my own life is, is profound. That whenever I obviously knew that I didn't have the ability to do something, but I said, Lord, I'll walk with you, Father. I'll walk with you. If you want me to do this, you'll call me. And so you see this. Uh, and, it's, and it's amazing how God is doing this. And so he's giving them a teaching moment. He was certainly aware that they could not fulfill the ability to feed this people. Yet he told them, and you, and you compare this with other gospel accounts which show the disciples discussed with Jesus just how much money they had and how, what it would take to even give a nibble of bread. This is actually pretty interesting. Turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 37. 
We'll start with verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. Now they get into a colloquy with Jesus, which I love this. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. They figured that out pretty quickly, didn't they? Are we to go? And spend that much on bread and give it to them? Now, (laughs) I don't think they had the money. You understand? They didn't sit there with a treasure box, a chest full of cash. These were itinerant preachers, all right? They, they They weren't affiliated with any national organization in which they were getting monthly checks. They were walking in faith. And so here they are, they're talking with Jesus, uh, and they're actually having a discussion about the money that it would take to buy that. And so Jesus asked them again in verse 30, 38, how many loaves do you have? He asked them, go and see. Now, you know he knew how many loaves they had, but he wanted them to see. He wanted them to reckon and see and look at, at what the physical need was. When they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Wow. That doesn't seem that much. You understand? And I want you to, I mean, I want you to get the play of the disciples in Jesus, the, the actual play of this, as Jesus is bringing them along. Jesus is teaching them about faith. You understand? He's teaching them what real faith is. This is what real faith is, folks. It's about the fact that the human species could say it's not possible, but God says, yes, it is. You understand? And when we pray here every week for these prayer requests, and some of them seem insurmountable, I want you to know that I have faith that God in his perfect will will heal people. He will. That's what he's done and proven over and over and over again. We have to have faith in the power of God. And so Jesus directed them right after that to have all the people sit down in, in groups on the green grass, so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And I just imagine what this is like to see this massive crowd dividing itself up. Uh, and so here it is today, we think inside the box. That's how we're created. Oh, this can't be done. This is beyond us. We don't have the ability to do this. Uh, we can't do this. And I want you to recognize how God says, blow the walls down on the box. I don't care about the box. The question is, what is God going to do with you to advance the kingdom of God? And are you going to be part of the solution? Or are you just going to be another part of the problem? That's the lesson here as you see Jesus speaking out so powerfully here. Uh, And so Jesus directs them to have the multitude sit down in groups of 50 in order to meet the need. Jesus takes the lead. Jesus takes the lead. All right? The disciples didn't take the lead. Jesus takes the lead. And that's what happens when you partner with Jesus. When you bow before his throne and say, Lord, I will work with you. I will do what you want me to do, Father. I ask you to intervene for this need. He takes the lead. uh, and, And he takes the lead. And he then prays. He prays. Uh, for, for this food to be blessed. Now, this was no mere blessing of grace on a dinner. All right? I don't want you to think Jesus was just saying, bless this food, amen. This was a prayer to the throne of God himself to take these five loaves and two fish and to multiply it so that the power of God could be envisioned by 15,000 people 
who would see this. Uh, and so uh, Jesus asked the disciples to get involved. You set them up in groups of 50. You set it up and then come forward with the, with the five loaves and two fishes. And so Jesus did what only Jesus could do. He created the miracle. But he asked the disciples to organize it, to have faith, to come with him uh, in submission and bow before the throne of God to be part of the solution. Look, don't you think that if Jesus wanted to, he could have miraculously had dinners set before all 15,000 people? He didn't need the disciples to put up groups of 50. It could have just have been done. Or don't you think Jesus could have had one gigantic buffet table? How's that? You like that? Come on up. Look at this table. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It's just, look at, look at what's going on. He could have done that. He's God. But instead, he bows to humanity, and he gives you a chance to partner with God. I can't tell you how much my heart is, is touched by this. Over and over and over again, I see this with God. He reaches out to us and says, I want you to be part of what I'm doing. I want you to partner with me. And that's what he did with these disciples. He gave them a chance to be a part of this incredible miracle. And so it must have taken incredible effort to organize this group. Can you imagine? 15,000 people. How, what kind of organizational skills that had to take place. And so eventually they were seated. Uh, and so Jesus blesses and breaks the bread. Uh, and then he, he, he tells them to go and pass it out. And I want you to think about the kind of faith it must take to be given a basket and said, go, go feed them. Go feed them. And what would we say? Jesus. Are you kidding me? I'm going to be humiliated. I'm going to be embarrassed. You're asking me to take a risk. Bing, there's the lesson. He's asking you to take a risk. He's asking you to put yourself out in a position where, yes, you might be embarrassed. Yes, some people might mock you. Some people won't understand you, but Christ says, I want you to take a risk. I want you to step out. I want you to surrender. Uh, this is what we have. This is all that we have. And so we're giving all that we have to Christ as we bow before him. That's the essence of this lesson. Giving everything that you have in order to advance the kingdom of God. Don't tell me you're broke. Don't tell me you don't have talent. Don't tell me you don't have gifts. God has given every single one of you some gifts and talents in a specific way, and you need to bow before the throne of God and recognize this is the responsibility of the Christian man and woman. This is what he wants. He wants you to step out. He wants you to take a risk. He wants you to show the kingdom as, as to what the kingdom is about. He wants to address those who are in need. Uh, who have tremendous needs. And so they surrendered. They had to surrender to him the tiny bit that was in their possession. It's yours, God. You use it. You direct it. And so their action required faith because they didn't know what he was going to do. He didn't tell them. What did you? you don't see Jesus saying, don't worry, boys. I got this covered. I'm going to take these, these fish and bread. I'm going to blow them up. And not only am I going to feed the entire group here, don't worry about it, boys. There's going to be 12 baskets left over. Jesus doesn't tell you in advance what he's going to do. He looks for you to step out in faith. That's the message of this lesson. Stepping out in faith, even when you don't know the specifics of what God has in mind. And so I'm going to tell you this. This applies to you with your family, 
to your children, to speak to them about God, to speak to them about faith. It relates to you in the church, how you respond to the church, how you advance the cause of Christ within the church in every aspect of your life. It relates to business. How do you perform in business as you give the life of a Christian in business? How do you perform that way? In every way, God is saying, you do a partnership with me. There's nothing that you do that is not within partnership with me. And when you do that, you see the incredible way that God responds and prospers us. And second, we, we receive the Lord's blessings on these resources. I want you to see something. You know, and, and people say to me often, I need to know from you biblically on tithing, is it on the gross or the net? Right? That's, that's the question, isn't it? Is it the gross or is it the net? Here's the thing. It's all his. Once you, once you understand that everything that you have, everything that he has given you is his, then all of a sudden you won't come to me and ask me, is it the gross and the net? The question is, how much of your stuff, Jesus, do you want me to give back to you, and what portion do I keep? That's the question. That's really the question. And so you see it here. When you commit your resources here, five loaves and two fish, 15,000 people got fed. You want to see the economics of God? That's the economics of God. You can't outgive God. You understand? You can't outgive God. So when you're miserly and you're parting out what you think you want to give God, I, mean, I want you to recognize that God looks at that and he sees the heart. And I ask you, in fact, is that how you want to be blessed by God? Or do you want rather God to see that you are the most generous person? that you say, Lord, I will give what you want. And to the kingdom of God, and I'm not talking about giving it to any specific church. I reject that theory. I don't believe that the tithe goes to any one church. I believe it goes to the kingdom of God. And you're hearing a pastor say this, okay? It goes to the kingdom of God all over the globe. Yes, a portion of it does go to, to the church, to advance the kingdom of God and the community of Christians together. But I don't believe that the entirety of it goes to the church. It goes to many different uh, causes that are Christian, that are advancing the kingdom of God. Because frankly, we can't trust the church to do the right thing in all ways. Oftentimes, churches advance themselves. And what you wind up seeing are bloated salaries uh, and payrolls that are way beyond the pale. So many people employed when, in fact, a fraction of them were necessary. And that's why when God called me to start this church, I made a covenant with the church that I would never take 10 cents as a salary. Never. For as long as God called me to be that pastor, to have breath and teach about the word of God, I would never do it. Why? It wasn't that I was trying to grandstand. It was because I was demonstrating to the people the commitment that you need to have to serve God. It's not about money. It's not about advancing yourself. It's about bowing in submission before the throne of God. That's the message here. Bowing in submission before the throne of God. We don't have any personal ambition. I'm not looking to be the head of any great spiritual group. I'm looking to serve God every day of my life as I walk with God. And that's what I want for you. You're just like me. God is calling you. And you see the disciples here recognizing this, bowing. And God is blessing them as they give this meager amount of bread and fish 
for the kingdom of God. And so it's, it's amazing. And secondly, you see here that after they had faith with their little bit of what they had, secondly, they received the Lord's blessings on these resources. Uh, in, in one sense, the statement that Jesus looked up to heaven and then blessed his food could be seen as simply Jesus following the custom of the Jews to bless the food. Yet we are aware that this is much more than a simple blessing on the food. That this, is a, this was an example of the power of sovereign God to take these resources and to magnify them, to mag them powerfully in order to advance the kingdom of God. This was no mere mealtime blessing. And third, and third, the lesson is to enjoy ministering to people using, the tip, using what the Lord blesses. The gospel writers do not explain exactly how the miracle took place. We don't know the specifics. As I said, it's clear pretty much that a pile of fish and bread didn't miraculously appear, but it appears as if in the simple walking of the disciples to each group of 50 and 100, God blessed it and the fish were multiplied. God blessed it and the, and the bread was multiplied. Uh, and so you see this as God, as we step out in faith for God, how God uses the little that we have and he multiplies it uh, in faith. And so all we know, all we know is that, that Jesus was the source of this supernatural multiplication of bread and fish. He was the source. He was the power. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. That's what went on. They would finish up with one. They'd bring a basket back. Jesus would bless it. He'd give it out to them again. And here it became a simple act of faith. Lord, you give it to us. And he gave it over and over and over again. You can imagine what it had to be. The electricity at that site must have been incredible. As the disciples looked and watched the power of God unfold behind, right before them. Look, they hadn't seen the Jews cross the Red Sea. They didn't see it, but they saw right here what the power of God was. There's five loaves and two fish. And he just fed 15,000 people. Are you kidding me? This is the son of God. You want to know who he is? This is the power of God and he's partnering with us. He's partnering with us. Uh, and so when they're all said and done, not only does everybody get fed, but there are 12 baskets of leftovers. How's that? 12 baskets of leftovers. Uh, and, and what does this demonstrate? It demonstrates that God provides abundantly. And let me say this clearly for you so that you understand this. If you're afraid that you can't give of your resources because you're going to be broke, you're making a sad mistake. All right? Let me assure you, you can't outgive God. If you give one thing, God will give you five. If you give five things, God will give you ten. But here's the thing. I'm not a prosperity teacher. I don't believe that we give because we want to be prosperous. We give because we love him. We give because he has given it to us. We give because we want to advance his kingdom in this world. That's why we give. This is no quid pro quo. You understand? This is no quid pro quo. And if you're in a church or you're listening to some evangelist speak like that, then here's what I'd say. Walk out. 
walk out, turn the TV off, because you're listening, you're listening to something that is not in accord with the Bible. It's not in accord with the Bible. And so that's the lesson here that we see here. Imagine that, that God would be so abundant in his giving that there would be 12 baskets left over. So there's significant lessons here for us to focus on today and this week and in our lives that are important. First, we learn that Jesus uses his disciples to be his arms and hands. He uses you to be his arms and hands. He could do it without us, but he chooses not to. He wants you to be a partner with him. And so you are the very hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, He didn't need human intervention, but yet he longs for human intervention. This is exactly how God works. And then God graciously involves us in his work. Think about this. God says, I want you involved in my work. I I could do this on my own, but I don't want to. I want you to be a part of this. What a great God we have. And so we must learn about this and learn about trust. This is a message about trust and about faith, recognizing that when God calls us, we have to have faith that we know what God is calling us for and that we bow before him, that he will use us. And so here you see this message about faith and trust. Look, we have 15,000 people. We only have five loaves and two fishes. I'll bless it. You feed them and you do it. What an incredible story of faith and trust as you see this uh, and understand this. And so God leads us. When God leads us to do something, we must move forward. If God touches your heart and says you must go visit someone, don't, don't waste a second. Get up and go and visit them. If you see someone that's in need, don't wait. Don't wait for some letter to come to you and say, why don't we do X and Y? You reach out. You do it. You step out. If you see a need that's profound, get other people involved. Go to those people that have a network. Speak to them about this uh, because God wants you to do this. What we learn here that nothing comes by relying on our own efforts. We cannot advance the kingdom of God by relying on our own efforts. It's only when we rely on him in faith that we get supernaturally electrified and plugged into everything that God is and that he will advance what we do for his work. And so we need to understand this. Jesus bypassed human effort that shows that all good things come from God, not from man's effort. And you know, this isn't the first time that God multiplied food. As I studied this passage, I want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 4 in the Old Testament. This is now somewhat about four or 500 years before this time. Uh, we're in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 4, uh, verse 6. Uh, it says there, So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, said the Lord Almighty. Uh, speaking further. And then look, if you would, to 2 Kings Chapter 4, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 43. It involves Elisha. Verse 42, a man came from Baal, Shelshah, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, giving with him some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elijah said. How can I set this before a hundred men? His servant asked. But Elisha answered, Give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord said. They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate, 
and they had some left over according to the word of the Lord. That's why you got to read the Bible. You got to read scripture. You see, if his disciples had remembered what happened with Elisha, they wouldn't have been stunned by the fact that God could have multiplied the bread and done this in in a remarkable way. And so this is a reminder, folks, that nothing we face here on earth is too big for God. Can I get an amen on that? No matter what we face, no matter what we face, we must remember that God is larger still. He's larger still than any any particular problem. And Christians must trust God that he will provide for our needs and amplify our offerings to bless others. I want you to recognize that, that, you know, you, it's a day like today, which is a problematic day, and you see the stock market going down eight or 900 points. You see the world torn about by this problem of coronavirus. I want to make a promise to you. You will not live one day less than God has planned for you. You understand? Not one day less. Don't walk around in fear about the coronavirus. You understand? Don't walk around in fear. God has called you to advance his work. He is with you. He will protect you. And don't worry that you're going to run out of money. God will protect you. Look, you might not be able to afford a boat, all right? Or you might not be able to have that house on the water. But to the extent that it's God's will, he will take care of you. Just like he took care of those 15,000 people on that hillside on that day who didn't know where they would be fed. And he will take your offerings, whatever they are. He'll amplify them. He's going to use you for the work of God. He will advance you. And so he is greater than anything that you will face in this world. He is greater and more powerful, and he longs to have you in partnership with him. Can I hear an amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message, Father. I thank you for this picture of 15,000 on a hillside with nothing but five loaves and two fishes. And yet in faith, God, you honored the faith and trust of the disciples. You advanced the kingdom of God by feeding all 15,000. Let us remember that here today, Lord, the incredible power that you have and how you want to partner with us in every possible way. Lord, let this lesson resonate in our hearts. Bless our people in every way. Protect them this week and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.